Good to see you guys. I know it's uh, kind of a, a, I don't know anybody else, if my voice sounds a little more husky, I'm going to second puberty, but uh, if not, it's also known as a little bit of a sniffling nose, but I noticed a few of us out there. I know there's all that going on, but I hope you're having a great uh, day today. We had a great day here. There was a wedding here this morning. There was uh, like a, a groups that got organized to reach out to you challenge this morning. There were small groups that happening this morning, uh, and then tonight we get a chance to uh, worship, get to be in the Word as well. So uh, do me a favor, uh, turn to your neighbor, just says, aren't you glad God is a full God, that he, there's a, he has a full life for you, right? That God has a full life for you. And you know, this uh, morning, uh, this evening, as we're uh, gathering together, uh, how many of you guys uh, watch Netflix, guys? Any Netflix people? Uh, is that, I guess there's other things now. I mean, not everybody's um, watching Netflix. But sometimes, you know, when I see the new things pop up, there was a series that came up called The Pacific. I don't know anybody uh, watched that before. It's kind of like uh, the continuation of the Band of Brothers, that, like uh, what happened in World War II. And, and they, they took a look at what happened in the Pacific with all the uh, Marines, that those guys who conquered the Pacific, and it was a super different kind of a, a situation, and I started watching it um, the other week, and, uh, you know, just easy to get engrossed, and one of the things that it does is, you know, kind of character uh, attracts three men and their journey, you know, in the war, and uh, one of those guys, when he first uh, comes on the scene, and he comes a little later than some of the other guys, so uh, there's these grizzled veterans, and then there's like the green you know fresh blood and you know it's just kind of idealistic and, and and all of that and then he goes through his first battle and obviously it's the kind of thing that you know uh, makes your mouth dry it's the kind of thing that would scare anybody and and the lieutenant at the end of the battle at the end of the battle, he's trying to gather the new guys together and encourage them. And he says, hey, basically, good job, good job, you know, that kind of a thing. And then the, uh, the, one of these characters that it's uh, tracing that uh, he says, you know, but to be honest, you know, sir, I, I, I was totally scared. I, I was so afraid during, during, the, during the battle Then everything was going on. And he says, son, son, there's, there's only two kind of people who been through battle that aren't scared. They're either dead or liars. And, and, and uh, you know, Santa just kind of says, we're all scared. And then he goes on. He says, we're all scared. And you know, this aspect of, of fear is, to be honest, everybody has fears, but it's just going to be what kind of fear do you have? And, and the, the scripture talks about a fear of the Lord as a healthy fear. Some of us have unhealthy fears, right? There's all kind of phobias out there. There's agoraphobia. It's the, the fear of... Oh, um, you know, kind of a... Uh, uh uh, outdoor spaces, right? There's xenophobia that you're scared of every other kind of people. Those kind of things are not necessarily healthy fears, but he says the fear of the Lord is a healthy fear, sometimes known as the awe of God. And so this evening, we're continuing the series we started a couple weeks ago called Restoring Our Awe of God, which is based on the book, by the way, uh, by John Bevere. John Bevere has a book called The Awe of God. If this series has been helpful to you, I highly encourage you to um, go out and purchase that book. It's a it's a great read. It's it's sort of written in a devotional level, so you could do this over a series of weeks and um, six weeks, and it, it could be a very powerful thing, and it would cement home a lot of the things that we're talking about. Um, 
But what kind of fears do you have? You know, sometimes we have the fear of people. Sometimes we have the fear of failing. You can have all kinds of fears. But he says that when you have the fear of the Lord, those other fears begin to fade. And so uh, the fact is, all of us has something along those lines uh, that we're afraid of. But the fear of the Lord is clean, it says. The fear of the Lord is healthy. And so I'm going to read a scripture, and I'm going to ask you guys to join me. And uh, it's the first scripture in your notes uh, this evening. And uh, I also, if you guys are at home and um, are participating as well, we're going to also take communion this evening at the end of the message. And so uh, just give you guys a heads up. Go get a cracker or a juice or something to, uh, something to eat, something to drink uh, as a symbol for the sacrifice of Jesus uh, that's going to make, um, I think, everything that we talk about tonight uh, make sense as well. And so, but would you do me a favor? Let's stand, reverence for God, reverence for His Word. And we're going to be reading uh, Hebrews 12, I'm sorry, Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. And it says it like this. Let's read. For the Lord, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked, exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. And you know, the scriptures talk about the fact that every person on the planet is gonna be accountable to their maker one day. And one day that we're gonna stand before him and it can either be the greatest day of your life or the worst day of your existence. And so obviously God wants this to be a day of redemption for you, a day that you, you meet with joy, that you get to see the God that you've known and you've trusted and you've sensed, and that you will be able to hear his words, that most of us wanna hear those words, enter into the joy of your master, my good and faithful servant, right? And that's what we desire to hear. But so often, the enemy wants to use that kind of a sense that we're stand before God uh, in the opposite way, to get us to, to, to fear, to get us to, uh, to, to dread, to get us to think that we're, you know, it's something we ought to hide from. But God calls that day your day of redemption. The day that he says, everything that you've done, you'll know it's not in vain. Everything you've done to serve him, to follow him, to honor him, he's gonna say, you're gonna see that it all mattered to him. And so before you're seated, do me a favor uh, and turn to your neighbor and says, hey, don't be afraid of meeting your, your master. And then you can have a seat. Don't be afraid of meeting your master. And this aspect that God knows my heart, that God will call us to account for all of our life, and that it can separate the things that sometimes I'm thinking and, and feeling, and that the things it says between soul and spirit. And I don't know if you've ever um, kind of wrestled, what is the difference between my soul and spirit? Because what is that? And, and so often we've talked about it in this way, that your soul is so often your, um, your, your thoughts, your mind, your will, your emotions, and, and those kind of aspects. And uh, everybody has a soul, right? And it doesn't matter. Like, I, I believe animals have souls, right? That you can tell that animals can, have, can think. They might not think like you think. They might not think abstractly. They might not say, I wonder, you know, where I was. I don't know if they think in that kind of a form. But there, you can tell there's intelligence. There's emotion, right? There's definitely will. If you don't believe animals have wills because you don't have a cat. If you have a dog, then sometimes you guys think, oh, no, they, they just do whatever I 
say. If you have a cat, you understand. They have a will. They, they, they do what they want. But, um, so, but you know, that the fact is that, that it says that the animals have souls, but that there's a thing that he says is different, and that's you and I, is that we have a spirit. And, and the spirit in you is the part that really connects with God, that makes you sense that. And so this is why the scriptures talk about the fact that, that to, to grow in your spirit, to, to be strengthened in your inner man, to be strengthened in the spirit that, uh, as well as your soul. And so that, he says because that one day we'll be accountable for that. Now, here's the thing I think that what the awe of God does this, this evening, uh, that we'll see his approval because of three things. The first thing is this, that the awe of God keeps me accountable before God. That if you want to be approved by God, you got to be accountable before God. And so often that for many of us that maybe if you've worked in the marketplace or you've worked in, in government or you've worked in different places, that there's different responses to people in authority, right? And that for some of us that, I, you know, I was talking to uh, one of my friends uh, recently and you know, we were talking about just sometimes what you see happen in the workplace, that there's some guys that they come in and they, uh, they, they always, they, 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 they get a job but they cannot stay in a job, right? And they, they just keep, they're like a restless spirit, always going from one thing to the next thing. And, and uh, he was asking me about that and I said, you know, there's obviously different reasons for that. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, financial, sometimes they don't know what their role is, sometimes they don't know what the, how they're wired up, but for many, it's like if they're in that same industry, they kind of know what they, that is that they, they, they ought to be doing, but at the same time, they're just doing that. Sometimes, you know what one of those things are? It's like they don't, they don't have a proper relationship with authority. And so they're always looking, and they're always um, kind of shade and moving around authority and, and this aspect. And you know, God says for us that we ought not to, to, to shudder and, 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 and be trembling and moving away from God's accountability, but we ought to be moving toward that. And one of the reasons is because when you make yourself accountable to God, it prevents you from kind of this natural thing the, the, the older you get, the more mature you become, the more uh, you become comfortable as a follower of Jesus, or you become more comfortable uh, in your occupation, more comfortable in your role in your family as a, uh, if, if you're a husband or a wife or you're a leader or what have you. It's this thing called entitlement. And being accountable helps to prevent the spirit of entitlement from taking root. And the entitlement is the belief that we are inherently deserved privileges or special treatment, that we have rights to things, um, and, and, and that we ought to deserve certain kinds of things that, to be honest, we may or may not be entitled to. One Christian writer in her late 20s said this. She said, my generation is notorious for attitudes of entitlement. We think we deserve more than we do, and when we don't get it, our entitlement siren starts blaring, and when it does, we often act irrationally in a way that maybe looks foolish even from the outside. Right? I don't know if you guys have ever felt entitled. I'm sure all of us have felt entitled at different places. Uh, sometimes you go, you know, it's, it's what I, I feel taken for granted. I, I, I'm not getting what I deserve. If you've ever been, uh, in a relationship and sometimes a relationship, you know, is not giving you what you want to, to get then maybe you're in, in a place where there's a little bit of tension. Um, have you ever been in that place where you say, 
you you know you shouldn't say something. You guys ever been in a relationship? You know you shouldn't say something, but you say it anyway. And the reason why you say it is why? Because you're so comfortable with the other person, right? You guys ever been in that place? And, and maybe you've thought to yourself, and I've been in this place where I've thought to myself, I shouldn't say it, but then I say, you know what your problem is? <laughs> and then you know what I realized really quick? I shouldn't have said those words, right? And those were, and why, why did I say that? Because you know the thing is that I, you cannot, just because it's your family, just because it's your friends, just because uh, it, it's your spouse, just because it's your, a person, uh, your, your the person you've been working with for so long, that don't think that you are entitled to kind of strip away the sense of, uh, uh, of uh, decorum, to, to strip away the sense of treating someone with respect. When you just say, hey, I don't need to, I'm just going to tell it like it is. You probably had that blow up in your face, right? And uh, had a long discussion and maybe in different things. Because what I should have said was probably along the lines was, hey, you know, I really appreciate you, but can I say something But what I think would make our relationship even better would probably have been received much better, right? But sometimes, you know, when you just feel like, hey, I can just say what I want to say, because you know what, we're, we're, we're married. I, don't, I can say just what, because we, we've been together for so long. I can say just whatever I want to say, because, you know, you, you, you know how I am, and that we feel entitled to do that, right? And, and sometimes I, I, I've experienced that people can get entitled with God, right? That maybe, especially if you, you tend to kind of drift toward one aspect where you, you feel like it's like, I've served God. I've, I've done what he's asked. I, I, I've lived the way that he's wanted me to live. And you have this kind of a, a entitlement to say that, to be honest, I, everything should go my way, right? And, and to be honest, that's kind of the contradiction of grace, right? That, that you deserve these things. Grace that God gives us. He, God gives us a grace to serve Him. God gives us a grace to, to follow Him. He gives us a grace, to be honest, so that I don't experience this sense of entitlement. You know, a while back, um, a while back, I really was growing in kind of my capacities to serve. I, I I'd been a missionary, I'd been a pastor, uh, went to seminary and you know, came back home and all of these things. And I, I felt the whisper of God come to me and say, Glenn, if I asked you to step out of the ministry, would you? And frankly, I just answered and I said, no. Now, what I should have said was, Lord, I don't know what you're asking, really. I, what I should have said is, Lord, if you would lead me, that I will follow you wherever you lead me. But what I did say was, no, right? And, you know, God has a way that when you're, you have this sense of entitlement, you know, it led me actually to a few years outside of the ministry. It led the, and it's not because I don't think that God, you know, was angry at me. I don't think God was mad at me. I, I, I think God was trying to purify me because he saw something breeding in me that he says, you know, this is not going to suit you well in the future. 
And so, you know, I learned how to, to, to serve God while I'm in the marketplace, while I, while I was a salesman, while I was uh, uh, kind of, uh, when I was working for the Chamber of Commerce, when I was working for uh, uh, the funeral home, when I was working in a restaurant, when I was, uh, all of these things. And, and still preaching and still leading and still uh, doing uh, discipleship, still doing all those things. And, you know, it, it didn't matter to me because God was refining my heart and it's in that place I think that sometimes God wants to deal with this sense of entitlement because what we can say is that that to be honest everything I have is is a gift from God everything I have is a is a gift from God and and that what I should have said is that you know whatever I do Lord whatever you have me to do I want to do it all for your honor and for your glory and I want to be thankful right to God the Father. That's what it says in, in Colossians. You guys have ever been in a place where you guys all go into a company together and you get, you know, you're all friends. Anybody been in that place? And then one of you gets promoted above your friends. You guys know what I'm talking about? And then sometimes what happens in those situations that your friends that you kind of been through the trenches with, that they, that they you, you guys have done everything together, the ones that you think that as you move to that position, that they will have your back and you will have their back. But sometimes what happens? There's a spirit of entitlement. My friend is the boss, so what? I could take a little longer on lunch. Right, I, I can maybe cut a little corner, she'll cut me or he'll cut me some slack. Right, those kinds of things. I deserve a break. I work so hard. We've been through this thing together. I have his back or she has my back or whatever it is and we can take people for granted. That's, that's entitlement. And, and sometimes when you're in that place, you, you have to say, you know, that to be honest, we ought to kind of serve even more, right? We, we ought to not put our friends in uncomfortable situations, not put our family member uh, in an uncomfortable situation. You know, like I, there's been times that I've uh, gone to bat for people and got them jobs. And when you get somebody a job, what do you, you, what do you wanna check when your friends go to work? Hey, how's it going, right? And maybe you ask your contact, like who hired them? Hey, how, how are they doing? Why is that? Because to be honest, in some sense, you put your name on the line, right? In some sense, you, you're going to bat for them. And so you want them to make sure that, hey, man, can you make sure that you show up on time or do the thing or just be teachable. And, and, and I know it might be a different system, but let, let this thing work together. And because you're, you, you're kind of going to bat for them. And, and so what you don't expect is that they not show up. Right? What you don't expect is that they, they don't listen. What you don't expect, why? They, and because sometimes what happens is they can get so comfortable that people go to bat for them is they take advantage of that. That's entitlement. And, and so sometimes we need to be mindful of that. We need to be careful of that. God says, I, I don't want you to develop this because what happens is you start losing the awe and reverence of God. Jesus never said there would be no problems in life, right? In fact, he said in this life, we all have problems, right? How many of you guys have, can testify that? In this life, you all, everybody has problems? Okay, hey, you guys are biblical, right? Everybody has, everybody has challenges at times. His promise is this, is that, but I have overcome the world, 
right? So sometimes what happens if we're, we're serving God, if there's a little bit of this legalistic aspect, I, you know, if you do this and I'll do this, and if I do this, then God, you gotta do this. And it's like, if something goes wrong, right? You, you, there's, there's, there's a hiccup in your, in your workplace. There's a hiccup in your relationship. There's a hiccup somewhere, uh, you know, that you're not advancing as, as quickly as you thought. It's not, it's not moving in the pace that you thought. And some of us, we get so messed up out of that because to be honest, if we're not careful, it's entitlement, right? God, I, I'm serving you. It, it ought to go at this pace. God never said that at times, right? He said that he would make the way for you. He would said that, that he would provide. Sometimes the way he'll provide that is by just his grace and mercy. And sometimes you'll be in those situations where he will change the situation. And sometimes what will he do? He will change you to the situation, right? Because God doesn't want entitled people. You guys ever seen sometimes it, like the owner's son kind of a situation in a company. You can have those who weren't through the ranks and are humble and they just work. And then you can have those that are like, hey, you know who my father is? You know, that kind of a thing. And to be honest, it's kind of off-putting, isn't it? And then God says this, you know what? In the same sense, in my family, in my kingdom, I want you to know that I love you, I am for you, I have a grace for you, but please don't walk in that spirit of entitlement as you represent Jesus. Because he is for you and he does love you and he does care about you. He just doesn't want you to be, kind of have a chip on your shoulder about it. He doesn't want you to kind of Say, hey, you know who my dad is? Kind of a, kind of a situation. You know, in, uh, in Romans, it's not in your notes, but in Romans 14, he, he talks about this aspect that even at times people will not kind of get along in the church. Now, I, I understand that, 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 that that's like a foreign experience for all of you, right? Because you guys have all perfect relationships, especially in the church, no? right? But I mean, to be honest, that sometimes we don't understand people. We don't know why they do what they do. And like, oh my gosh, I see this guy. He's, uh, he say he's Christian, but he smokes. And, and you go like, some people, they come from that kind of a thing that, you know, uh, I, I I don't smoke, I don't drink, right? I don't go with, you know, the people who do, right? And then to be honest, you know that you can smoke when you, and be a Christian. You can smoke and be a Christian. You just smell like you're closer to hell a little bit. But sometimes, but you know, like, so, but, right? No, I mean, you can smell it on people's clothes, right? So you can smell on their hair. But you, you know, that's, it's not a sin that says that you cannot be a Christian or whatever. There's things along those lines that, to be honest, sometimes there's, Sometimes maybe we call it a gray area where uh, that you can, is this, can a, can a believer do this or not? Like the, the Bible never says that. To be honest, the Bible never says that you, you cannot have a drink. The Bible never says that you cannot dance or whatever, but there's people and groups that sometimes will make rules, hard and fast rules, that if you're a believer, you cannot do this or you cannot do that. But the thing is that a wise person should know what they can and cannot do. Right, a wise person, because to be honest, um, I, I can have a, a drink and that's it. I had a drink. And I have friends that if they take one drink, it is a bad, bad picture because they cannot stop, right? 
So obviously, I will never have a drink with that person, right? And you ought to know about yourself because if you don't know that about yourself, that you'll, you'll get into problems. But we see this aspect in Romans 14 where he says, then why do you judge your brother and sisters? And why do you treat them with contempt? Because you say that they shouldn't be doing this or that person shouldn't be doing that or they shouldn't be doing these kinds of things. He says, don't worry about it, right? He's saying that he's saying, don't worry about it because it is written as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge. And then he says this, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And so he's saying, later on, he says this, do not judge the servant of another because I can make that person stand and stand they will. And so he, he kind of gives this aspect. But here's one of the things that we ought to understand is that the awe of God, the awe of God is a powerful force in our life. For many of us, we're, we're very blessed by the love of God. If you're blessed by the love of God, would you raise your hand today? You're blessed by the love of God, right? Of course, obviously, it's the love of God that draws us, but it's the awe of God that keeps us from evil. You see that if you love God, sometimes, and you know the grace of God in your life, sometimes you get caught up in stuff that you shouldn't if you don't understand the awe of God, the fear of God. Because to be honest, that sometimes we get confused with this thing of salvation. Now, um, there are salvation doctrines. We've talked about it more like in a midweek setting before where there's this thing called justification that, that when Jesus died on the cross, that, and you put your faith in him that says he transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, right? And not only does he forgive you, but he credits you with this thing called the righteousness of God. In other words, when he sees you as a believer, he doesn't see you like all the sins that you do. He knows them. He knows them. But he doesn't judge you by it. He doesn't see that. Through. He sees Jesus in you. Yeah, that's called justification. And sometimes what we get confused is justification with this thing called sanctification. I know I'm using kind of big words or, you know, multi-syllable <laughs> words, but, but sometimes what this is is confusing two things, positional righteousness and behavioral righteousness. You see, positional righteousness is this thing that in Jesus, yes, I am totally forgiven, right? And, and sometimes you might have heard past, present, and future, right? That, that he's forgiven all your sin. Why is that? Because when he died for you, you weren't even born yet, right? So all your sins were in the future, right? So he dies for what you did before you were a believer. He dies for what you did now, and he died for what you will do in the future. And, and so that's the justification, and then he credits you with righteousness. And so you have a positional righteousness. Let's say positional righteousness, right? In Jesus, he says, it's like you're seated in heaven already and God sees you righteous. But we all know that that's not how you always behave, right? Is that true? We don't always behave perfectly. And so there is a, a, a tension between positional righteousness and behavioral righteousness. And I wanna explain that because this will help us to understand why the awe of God will keep us from evil. 
There's a portion in the scriptures in Matthew 7 where it says this, and it might sound familiar, right? Enter through, let's say, enter through the narrow gate. Say narrow gate. Right, the narrow gate. So that's the way that we ought to go. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Right? And so we hear this thing, and I, I want to use this. Um, and some of you guys may be wondering, if somebody um, forgot to put construction stuff up here. No, no, it's just uh, it's for my thing right now. And so uh, sometimes we hear this, this thing called, like there's a wide road, right? There's a wide road, and then let's just say this. Maybe this is a, this is a narrow road, right? There's a wide road and a narrow road. And so in the narrow road, right, Versus the wide road. He says, in this one, there are many who walk in this way. And this is what? The road to destruction. And said, so there's a different road here, which is narrow. But it says that it's a narrow gate. But then it also says it's a narrow road. Right? Do you guys see that? So here's something that um, I didn't actually mean to draw that. So now I got to take this off. <laughs> but, uh, so here's the thing, that when you're walking through this narrow gate, let's say there is this entrance, that on one hand, we understand that when God calls you, you're not perfect, right? We all have problems, we all have issues, we all have things we struggle with, uh, but he loves you and he cares about you, right? He paid the price for you. And so we enter into this process, but this road is not just narrow, it's narrowing. Because in the beginning, that to be honest, when you get, say, you give yourself to Jesus and, you know, like you walk down the road that if you just go to church, you go to church this week, you feel pretty good. Hey, man, I I at least went to church this week, right? And so you, you just feel like, oh, that's awesome. Now, you know that sometimes maybe you have an old life, right? You had old temptations, right? So whatever it is, you fill in the blank, right, in that thing. You know, like, it's like, some of you, it's like, hey, you, you, you know, like a, your dating life is what caused you to go off track. For some of us, it's, it, it's uh, you know, it's the way you spend money. For some of us, it's uh, what you watch online, what, whatever the case, you fill in this thing. And you'll hit this place, and God will convict you. You'll read, you'll know in the Word of God that, hey, you know what, this is not healthy for me. And then you hit this point, and then you know what? You realize, I got to go a different direction, right? And so you start moving in this direction. And hey, you went to church, you read your Bible, you prayed, you listened to a message, you, you watched a sermon, whatever it is. You, you feel pretty good about yourself till you come this way. And then, and then you go here and it's like you start realizing, like maybe like my friend when I became a believer, um, I spoke like I wasn't a believer. I used different language than I use now. Uh, it was maybe more colorful than, than it is, right? You know, like, you know, like, it's not just GD this, but it would be, you know, certain letters here and uh, certain, right? So just, I don't even hear it. But my friend would be like, what did you say? I said, oh, this this is good. He says, no, that's not what you said. You said this is effing good, right? <laughs> Something like that. And I go, I didn't say that. But he said, no, you did. It's, but you don't even hear it, right? You don't even hear it. And so then I felt a little bit convicted. And so I said, you know what? I better, I better try work on that, right? And, then, and, and I was getting better and better. Now, 
here's the thing, right? So the road the, over time, if, I, if I'm not swearing, I'm not going out and, you know, drinking too much or going out and doing something stupid, partying, then I would feel pretty good, right? But you know, the thing is that it's much easier to change the way you speak than it is your heart at times, right? Than to be jealous, than to be envious, than to be prideful. You guys know what I'm talking about? See, certain behaviors are easier to change. And so on one hand, let's just say this, on the side of this road, there are ditches on both sides. On one side, we're gonna call this legalism. And on the other side, we'll call it lawlessness. And legalism will say, hey, I am good as long as I do the religious things. I went to church. I read the Bible. I, I didn't drink. I didn't swear. I didn't, you know, I, I was unnice to a person that they, I wanted to get them, but I didn't, right? Because I wanted to, and your actions. And, and so are those things good in general? Yeah, they're good, right? It's not bad, but... But there is this thing that you define your faith, your journey faith, by doing good things. And so if I do good things, I went to church, I, I gave, I served, I did whatever, then you think that I'm right with God. I'm on the right path. And that sometimes then we're going to have what Jesus said. It's like you guys wash the outside of the cup, but inside... Right, inside is, is filthy. Jesus kind of gives this illustration, right? But on the outside, it looks good. And so on the, if we're living for the outside and all the measurable we had, sometimes we call that legalism, right? And so God owes me at times. That makes sense? But on the other hand, on the, some people will say, it, it's not all that what you do, it's that God knows your heart. Right? That God knows your heart. You guys, you guys have heard that before? You, have you ever said that before? God knows my heart. And so we say, but if in my heart I intended to do something good, even though I did something really bad, my heart was in the right place. You guys ever said that? Right? I think most of us, we, we've said that. And, and sometimes people will say, hey, you know, I, I know that, you know, uh, I... I I, I fell into some old thing and I, you know, I, I banged this person's car and I just ran away, but God knows my heart, <laughs> right? That, that, right, so now we're starting to get a little bit more like, oh, well, we like, I don't know, is that right? You know, but people will say, and I'll confess, I confess to God that I, I banged that person's car. And you know what God has said, might say to you? It's like, well, I'm glad that you confessed to me, but you got to go tell that guy's car that you banged. That's the person you got to, right? But he's saying, sometimes we won't do it. Why? Because God knows my heart. And then when we say that God knows my heart, it somehow justifies the fact that, that we did things that we shouldn't have done, right? Because God just, he knows my heart. 
Sometimes that's what we say. I know I yelled and I, I took it out on this person and I, I just lost my temper and I said all this angry stuff. But God knows my heart because I really care about them. And so in some ways then I don't feel like I got to apologize or whatever it is. But what happens is if we just judge our heart, we start moving on the other side to lawlessness, right? Because then you can get people who say, you know what? I know I'm... Um, you know, I know that, hey, I owe this person some money, but I'm not going to pay them because, you know why? Uh, because I, I have a need. And, and we say, God knows my heart. So he starts getting on this side lawlessness. Somebody says, I know that I, I, I shouldn't go out and uh, party all night and, you know, go crazy and you know, kind of derail, get derailed, but hey, God knows my heart that I, I still love him, right? And so what we said is the love of God draws us close, but the fear of God keeps us from evil. You see, sometimes if I don't realize I'm going to have to stand before God and be accountable one day, then sometimes I just, I just move into lawlessness because God knows my heart. Whether I lie, cheat, steal, whatever it is, and I justify it because I know God, know God knows my heart. The narrow road keeps us away from either legalism or lawlessness. That when you understand the fear of the Lord, because he says this, it is a narrow road. And that when we walk within the confines of what God's instruction is what he's calling us to do we develop these points of conviction that we know that we should not transgress and if we do we make it right with god if we do we make it right with people if we do we submit ourselves to the holy spirit we repent before god god says this that there's a grace that covers you there's a grace that covers you right but what is the precursor he says confess your sins Right? Confess your sins. Repent from those things. Why? Because Paul said later, he says, I'm concerned that when I come and visit you, that some of you have not repented from your former sins. And you're still stuck either on this legalism or you're stuck in this lawlessness side and you're not walking the road of following Jesus. Does that make sense to anybody? And so... How does the awe of God then help us to do this? Because one day I understand I'm going to stand accountable for God. One day, if I don't repent, I'm going to stand accountable for the way I treat my wife. You know, what I don't want to have that conversation is, I don't want to have the conversation where God tells me, why did you treat my daughter the way that you did when I called you to love her, but you abused her. I don't want to have that conversation with God. And so I'll, I'll respond accordingly. Does that make sense? Because one day I'm going to be accountable. One day all of us will be accountable. And this is not for unbelievers. This is for believers and unbelievers because everybody's going to stand account and we're going to be accountable for the life that we lived and this is what he's saying is that when i want to honor god 
when I want to honor God, then I won't justify my lawless ways or neither will I justify myself by all my behaviors. Because some people say this, it's like I did this thing, I'm right with God. Or I, I worship God in my heart, so I'm right with God. And which is it? You need both. You need both. It's not either or. Because if you do one or the other, you will move towards lawless uh, legalism on one end. And if you go the other way, you'll get into lawlessness on the other. When you see, when you see the craziest things that are going on in some cities, and, and to be honest, I, I've heard it happens in Hawaii too, where let's say somebody walks in, walk into the store, they just go shopping, they just don't pay for it. <laughs> Right? They go shopping, they get all their stuff, and then they walk out. And they say, hey, it was the grace of God that provided that for me. Right? That's, that's lawlessness, is it not? And what we see in our country is there's a great move towards lawlessness. But we cannot let the church become legalistic. We need the Spirit of God to speak to us, to guide us along the way, that in concert with the Word of God. So that we don't get stuck in legalism, neither do we embrace lawlessness. But that we walk in the right path with the right spirit. Because people will feel if I am legalistic, I judge, I make these judgments, and, I, and it's, it's a hard truth, and there's no grace. People can feel that. And many have left churches because of a legalistic term. But to be honest, if we're not careful and we just say it doesn't matter what you do because God died for you, he paid the price, we are preaching a gospel that would not be recognized by the people who first heard the gospel. Because he says as well that, that you and I, that we need to be willing to change. We need to be willing to become more and more like Jesus. This is what it says in Ephesians 4.15. Let's read what it says. Ready? Begin. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. You see, over time, you and I, we ought to look more and more like Jesus. We, we ought to be more gracious. We ought to be more righteous. We ought to be more courageous. We ought to be uh, uh, more faith-filled. We ought to be uh, more uh, a sense of being able to, to stand firm and, and take our stand. That we need to be able to uh, not count people's sins against them. I, I, I'm not saying I'm there. I'm not saying I look just like Jesus. I got a long way to go. Anybody else got a long way to go? I got a long way to go. But he's saying, over time, I should be changing. And if I've never changed, something is wrong with this picture. Why? Because you will not experience a closeness with God unless you walk this road. It says it like this in James 4.8. Can we read that together? He says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. 
You see, if, he's, if I follow what it says, what will happen? If I, I purify my heart and so I step away from legalism, I don't just bow and what those things do. If I say, I step away from the ways of the world and I, I follow God and I wash not only my heart, but I wash my hands, I wash my behaviors and I purify those things. He says, then God, what? Comes close to you. And, and this aspect of revelation of God, this aspect of closeness with God becomes something then that we walk down and we experience on the narrow road. And over time, what happens is then we start looking a little bit more and more like Jesus. And so it's not one or the other. These are both excesses. But we ought to be walking the road of truth and grace with love and kindness with with justice and righteousness we walk down this road will you walk it perfectly no you won't i don't but i ought to listen to the spirit as he convicts me and move away from whichever way of excess does that make sense and as you and i do that we start looking more and more like Jesus. As you and I do that, that we, we start stepping away from evil. And why is that helpful? Why is this important? Because then the last point is this, because the awe of God will help me to end very well. The awe of God, the fear of the Lord will help me to end well. You know, Jesus tells the story when he comes, he says, for his children and the, the servants to stand accountable before him. He gave them their different um, tasks. He gave them their different um, resources to use. And he says that, you know, at the end, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the Lord. Uh, enter into the rest of your master. I think all of us desire one day to say, hey, that, that I did well, <laughs> right? How many, don't all of us want to end well? It's easy to start well. The hard part is it's, it's not always easy to end well. But the fear of the Lord is very helpful because what does it do? It says this in Psalm 112. Let's read what it says in Psalm 112. Ready? Let's read. Do I not have it? Oh, okay, I didn't put it in your notes, I guess. I'm sorry about that. So this is what it says in Psalm 112, verses 1, 3, and 6. He says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their good deeds will last forever, right? And such people will not be overcome by evil. Those, are, those who are righteous will long be remembered. And you know what it's saying is this, that if you are fearing the Lord, then he says that's one of those ways that you get joy, right? This, the, another thing it says this is that your good deeds will last and you'll not be overcome by evil because it is the love of God that draws you close, but it's the fear of the Lord that keeps you from evil. And he says this, so those who are righteous will long be remembered. You guys want to have a good shelf life, a long shelf life, right? You want to have a long shelf life, you want to end well, then Fear the Lord. And we said this last week, the last couple weeks, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. It is being reverent of God. 
It is being in awe of God. There are moments that we need to recognize his power. We recognize he's God, but that he does have a desire for us to walk with him and for us to leave our old life behind. So he says this, how joyful then. Isn't it joyful to kind of leave certain things behind that, that used to trip you up? Isn't that a joyful time? You're like, oh man, I'm so glad I don't, I'm not stuck in that cycle. And sometimes it says this good deeds, it says that they'll last forever and that you won't be overcome by evil, right? And there's a long shelf life. You know, um, I've used this book a number of times in different classes and, and, and sometimes in teaching at um, Bible College. Uh, it's a book called The Making of a Leader by a guy named J. Robert Clinton. And he studies in that the phases of development of a leader and, and, um, and what he says is that, you know, there's these different phases that some of them is like where the, some of the things about your life you had no control over, right? You had no control over where you were born, right? You had no control over who were your parents, right? You had no control over um, what language you spoke, right? You had no control over uh, whether you were a, a male or a female today. Well, that's a different thing, but sometimes. But that we know, right, that sovereignly speaking, those foundations, they were set. And it, sometimes there's people that you think like, Hey, uh, they, they, they had a raw end of the deal. Guys like Moses, he was born a slave, right? They were going to kill him. And so he's a Jewish person born in Egypt, uh, destined to be killed. But it was in this moment that his parents um, hid him. And they, they put a risk. They put him in a basket and they sent him down the river. And, and then all of a sudden, who finds him? It's the, 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 the Pharaoh's um, daughter and so a, a princess in there and so she raises him and he's raised in the house of that was totally beyond Moses' control right it was sovereign it was just a sovereign thing and then there's different seasons and things that go on but one of the things he says is that in the making of a leader one of the things that we find is sometimes it's really hard to end well and that the 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 likelihood of ending poorly or getting derailed in life is more common than those who have ended well. And it doesn't matter if you look in the scriptures or you look, to be honest, probably in the marketplace or sometimes you look maybe just around you that you might notice this as well. Saul, that he began well, a humble, the first king was humble. He couldn't believe on the favor of God in his life. He, he was called to be king. He was just amazed until all of a sudden he got sucked up in this desire for power and it made, caused him to not fear the Lord, not reverence the Lord, but he, he loved power. And he did everything he could to keep power and that ended poorly. And so God calls David on the, the next scene. And David is known as what? A man after God's own heart. He writes uh, a, a good portion of the Psalms. He's the most um, kind of quoted king in, in all of the Old Testament. So we see David um, having this sense of kind of amazing thing. And then unfortunately, the older he gets as a king, as he grows, he gets this sense of entitlement that whatever I see, because I'm king, I can take what I want. And he ends up sleeping with his friend's wife, right? So he commits adultery. She gets pregnant. He has to hide it. He ends up killing his friend, justifying these things, this lawlessness, right? 
and then it gets discovered. And although God forgives him, right, because he repents, God forgives him. It's good to be forgiven. But what we find is that it, it wrecked havoc in his family, right, all the days of his life. So there was just problems because of the, the kind of a model that he presented, right? And then he has a son, his name's Solomon, wisest of all men, has a heart for God, that willing to do whatever, right? Accumulated incredible wisdom and wealth and power, even beyond his father David. And then he began to trust in his wisdom. And he doesn't, he has this massive kind of a um, going off the edge until later in his life he comes back and he understands the fear of the Lord is, is the thing that, will keep me from evil. And so you see that. And I remember even having conversations with my dad uh, about that, knowing that it was possible for me. And when I first was gonna go into the ministry, um, you know, my dad, because I'm the first Christian in my family, there was no concept of serving God, right? So my dad's thing is I, as I'm graduating, I'm the first immediate child in our family to have a college education. And so my dad's desire was I would go and work, right? And I would, he was working on the big island because, you know, my grandfather had a business. He was working there that burned down. So he went and worked for his brother on the big island. And then he wanted me to work here and help take care of my mom. And then I told him I want to go in the mission field. And, and, and he it was in a great conversation. Just, right? He wasn't happy, right? And, and the, the reason is he couldn't understand. And, and he was saying, Glenn, why don't you just do that part-time? Go work and then serve God. And I said, I understand that. that. That makes sense. I think for the large part, that's what most times, that's what people do. Because we have to, we're not called all into vocational ministry. But I feel God is calling me that way. But you know what would, would kill me, Dad, is that, that if at the day that I stand before God, he says, Glenn, this is what you have done, but this is what you could have done. I, I would have so much regret. And you know, when I said that to my dad, even though he wasn't a believer, even though he had him in race, he, he understood on some level. And part of the reason why I thought that was because I read in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is what? The foundation. They say that Jesus is the foundation, right? And he says, anyone who builds on that foundation, anybody who builds on our life on Jesus may use a variety of uh, materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done, right? So you could do this thing where you use um, imperishable material, the gold, the silver, precious stones. And he says, when the fire comes, it looks the same, right? Why? Because it's imperishable material. But then he says this, but if you used, you know, string and you used the lint from your sock and you used the, the paper that was, I, I tore off from the thing and I used the piece of wood that I, I just, a kind of a scrap wood, I just gave all the little scraps from my life and I build on that. He says, when the fire comes, what will happen? It'll be burned up. 
But then he says this, the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer, what? Great loss. Is the builder on the foundation lost? Is he destined for judgment away from God? No. It says the builder will be saved. But like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. In other words, you can live your life still for you. Just do whatever you want. You could in some sense. But when you stand before God, that life is just going to go and then he says, Glenn, this is what you built, but this is what you could have built. And so he's saying, build your life with the things that last. Build your life on the foundation. Because when I stand before God, just like even this guy in the story that Paul is telling, I'm sure he's still grateful to be in heaven, right? He's still grateful to be in heaven. But there will come this point where he will say, but this is what you did with your life. And so this is why, this is the road that Jesus describes. And so I think it doesn't take a whole lot, unfortunately, for some of us to think about leaders who have kind of blown out their lives on national television, national leaders or international leaders. I, in the last few years, there's been some who have, because of abuse of power, have not ended well. For some, kind of abuse of money situations and not done well. Some who tried to hide sexual misconduct and even thinking that it was a reward for their service because they had entitlement. And, and they didn't end well at the end of their lives. And it was, it's been difficult for some of these people, well-respected. Some falling prey to substance abuse and moral failings as they tried to cope with their stresses and strains of their life and their ministry, right? But I can say this. When I started, not necessarily in the ministry, but when I started this church 24 years ago, when we were in Kapolei, there were like seven churches that we were partnering with. And uh, I remember we did this large event um, in 2002, uh, seven of us churches, and we partnered together and we did this um, memorial for 9-11. Uh, and, uh, and there were thousands of people who came to the high school and it was a huge outreach. And there was a, like a newspaper ad that we put on the thing and it says, hey, come to our house. And we just all stood together, right? And, and we, we stood together and we just said, hey, it doesn't matter whose house you go to, but just come to our house for, for Easter or whatever it is, you know, for, for Christmas or something like that. And, and you know, I, I looked at that picture recently and, and there's, out of the seven of us, then there's only two of us who are still in the ministry that I know. Now, some of them, you know, they, they got older and they got sick and one of those guys passed away, a godly man. I think he ended well. Unfortunately, just health-wise, it was very difficult for him. There's, there's some other guys that, to be honest, that their churches no longer exist. Of four out of the seven churches no longer, three of the, of the seven churches no longer exist. 
There's some who have just kind of moved and different things that have happened. But just even in these people that I, we started, that not everybody ends well. Because ending well, I think, requires in awe of God. And there have been some that have had some uh, kind of huge kind of off the road and, and have been able to come back again. And there's a grace for that. And there's a grace for that. But God has a grace for you. But I think if he were to do it over again, he would say, I wish I had had a greater fear of the Lord in a different season of my life and I wouldn't have had to go down those roads. And how about you? But I, I have my own shortcomings and failings as well. You know, mine, thankfully, is not the things that would put me in the news, right? Like, because I took advantage of money or I, I, I did something inappropriate with a person or, or something. You know, I, I don't have those kind of things. But there's been times I've been fearful of what people thought. There's been times that because of that, and then my greatest regret is, is, is situations that have arised because I didn't stand and hold strong when I should have. But you know what it made me do? It made me gracious, grateful for the grace of God on my life. And I repented. And I said, you know what, God, I gotta fear you because when I fear you, then I can withstand at times the pressures from people, the pressures that maybe I put on myself, the pressures that different situations can have. Everybody has pressure in life, right? Everybody has pressure in life. Here's the way that you withstand pressure. You have to have enough inside of you of equal force to withstand the pressure that's coming from the outside. Because if you don't have enough resource on the inside that's kind of trying to overflow your life, you get crushed by the pressure outside of you. That makes sense? And so here's what I think God is saying at the same time, right? So that, that if you, I, I hope that you have a long shelf life. I hope you have longevity um, in the faith. I hope you have a, I hope that we all end well. You know, uh, on the, uh, at the wedding that we, we did today, they wanted us to write wisdom. And uh, I, I didn't know what my wife asked me. She said, can you write something on this thing? I was just thinking, hey, congratulations or whatever. <laughs> I just was writing. I was thinking she was asking me to write the card. And I was just writing. And she goes, no, no, no. It's supposed to be wisdom. Like, it's like words of wisdom for them. Like, I go, oh, okay. I don't know. You just told me to write something. So I just started writing. Different. And uh, then I said this. I just said, um, this is a word of wisdom. I said, um, just remember this if you cross the finish line all by yourself it's not a win unless you finish together right in marriage right like I, I don't want to be like I just finished all by myself but I left my family or my wife behind I, I did not finish well and here's my thing when we cross the finish line I want us all to cross together, right? I, I don't want anybody left behind. And, and I think that's when we finish well. And this is God's promise to us, is that when we understand reverence and honor for God, it helps us because then we'll be accountable, right? And we'll be accountable and the, and the love of God will, 
will, will draw us, but the fear of God will keep us from evil, right? So then we'll think twice about some of those things. We'll put guardrails maybe in our life. Some of us need to put guardrails in our life so that we don't cross. What is a guardrail? It's not on the edge. A guardrail is something inside the edge. You don't wait till the edge, but you have in a, a, a barrier before the edge so that even if you cross this thing, you still don't go over the edge. That makes sense? Um, and, but we, and then I think what happens is that we can w- run down the road, whether the road is narrow or narrowing, we'll run down the road, but we'll do it together. And this is God's promise for that. Jude one twenty four. Can we read that together? Let's read. Ready? Begin. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now, and forevermore, right? So God can keep you from stumbling. But what he asks us, he says this, learn to walk the narrow road. There is a grace to cover us, but don't use it as an excuse to just do all the things that you can see that we fall into legalism. Neither do we fall on the other side and we just say, hey, you know, I know I just do all kinds of stuff, but God knows my heart. And then we fall into lawlessness. He says this, that when we have both truth and grace, right? Because the, the scripture often tells us not just grace, not just truth, but when we have grace and truth, then we change and are transformed. If all I have is grace, like it doesn't matter what I do, I'll fall into lawlessness. If all I have is truth, it'll be hard, it'll be lifeless, it will be rigid, and people will kind of recoil a little because it's, it's hard truth. There's just an edge to everything. But when gr- Grace and truth are married in reverence before God. He says, you'll go far. You'll look more and more like Jesus over time. None of us are perfect and none of us will be. But let us grow together up into the image of God. Because this is what he's saying. He'll hold you. He'll keep you from stumbling to present you before his glorious presence without fault and joy. That's the positional part. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority. And when we follow his authority, and so we start making choices because we want his authority and accountability in our life through Jesus our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore, you start getting the behavior. And you read those two together, then you get change. You get transformation. Little by little, we look more and more like Jesus. That makes sense? Let's bow our heads. We'll close in a word of prayer. Father, I know for, for some of us, this kind of a message 
maybe it lays out a, in a clear way, Lord, that we need truth and we need grace. We just cannot only hold to one of those things. And sometimes, Lord, we, when we do, we end up losing in awe of you. If you're in that place, that maybe because you didn't understand the fear of the Lord, that God is your friend. He's, he's gracious and loving, and he loves you completely. But he really doesn't want you to, to, to do certain things, right? He doesn't want us to pray prayers like, forgive me, Lord, for what I'm about to do. And just kind of say, hey, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And there's some of us that maybe we're on the other end. And we think, Lord, I've served you. And Lord, I've sought you. And I know your word. And I pray. And I do all the godly things. And, and because of that, Lord, I, I'm entitled. I'm entitled to stuff. And maybe you've let that arise in you. Let's turn away from that. Because it's the grace of God in your life that we, that we have what we have in our life. It's the grace of God in our life that he doesn't judge us by our sin and we don't get what we deserve. We experience his mercy. And that he holds us up. Father, I'm praying that right now as we come and we, we understand the reverence and the fear of you, I thank you that it helps us to walk in a way that we can have your approval. Not just positionally, but by the way that we live and the way that we love and the way that we express our faith. And that, Lord, that we be walking down the road that you want us to walk on. So, Father, I'm, I'm asking for, for some, I'm asking for just tremendous grace today. And to open their eyes that how much grace is needed. And I thank you there is an abundance of grace for them. But, Father, for some of us, we need truth. That says we need to turn away from those things. We need to confess them. We need to repent of them that waves of refreshment may come from the fresh presence of the Lord. So I pray that you would cover your people. And here's the good news. If you've never been on the path, God's calling you to be on the path today. He's calling you and he says, I have a grace for you. It doesn't matter where you've been and what you've done. But he says, I love you as you are. And my son came to die in your place. And if you recognize that, you know, you've tried to live and be your own God. Maybe you're like me. You recognize that you didn't do that great of a job as God. And some of us, as God, we tried to make ourselves happy. We tried to do all the things that we, we just lived, that what we thought. And that, to be honest, maybe you've come to the place that's like... God, maybe what you say is the truth, not just what I feel. And God's calling you, and there's a grace for you. All you got to do is be willing to accept it. Be willing to turn from what you know is wrong. 
And this is what he says. There'll be waves of refreshment that will cover you. He loves you. He cares about you. He goes to pray a very simple prayer if that's you today. Father, that today I recognize I need you. Thank you for Jesus who died for my sin. I pray, Lord, that he would come live inside me today. And Lord, that would you have a grace to cover them today because you died and rose again. Thank you that you came to pay the price. And Lord, would you set your seal on them and pour your life into them and cover them today as they begin just this journey. And give them a hunger for you and a hunger for your word and bring them around people who can help them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the New Hope Kapolei Messages podcast. We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message and that it brought you inspiration and encouragement in your journey of faith. If you'd like to listen to more messages or stay connected with us, visit our website at newhopekapolei.org or follow us on social media. Remember, no matter where you are in life, there is always hope and a new beginning in Christ. So let's continue to grow and learn together as we pursue a life of purpose and impact. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Aloha and God bless.